0: Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. Uh, all right, so we are wrapping up the series Good News today. That's the game plan. We're finishing out, and then we switch nothing to bad news after that, From the rest of the <laughs> we're not going to do that. Uh, so uh, what we've done through this series the first four weeks is, uh, one, we talk about perspective. Um, where you're standing really does dictate whether you hear it as good news. Um, that the perspective you're coming from and where what you're listening to matters. Um, you can be looking for bad news and you're going to find bad news. And so uh, hopefully you leave challenged to uh, look for good news and to see the good news and what God is doing in your life. Um, and, but today I want to end the series with what I'm calling the greatest news, all right? The greatest portion of the good news uh, I want to end with today. Um, but to get there, uh, what we've been doing is going through parables and we're going to do that today as well. We're going to go through some parables um, and we're going to actually break down three parables um, and really focus on one. Um, And this first one that we're going to talk about, or all three of them come out of Luke 15. And in Luke 15, uh, Jesus is hanging out and uh, he kind of gets judged uh, for what he's doing and who he's hanging around. So let's take a look at those verses in Luke chapter 15, verses one and two. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them, right? So he's got muttering, he's heard it, he's hearing what they're saying about what he's doing. And then Jesus goes into three separate parables right after this. It, it, what the, Luke's gospel is saying and communicating, Jesus told three different stories to combat this one uh, muttering, this one argument, this one complaint. Because what he had was the Pharisees, if you're not uh, super familiar with who they are, they're just the, the religious men of the day, the people who look like they got it all together, who seem impressive to the world around them. They seem like they've got it all figured out and they know scripture for, forwards and backwards. And they're the ones that feel like they need to judge what Jesus is doing and whether or not Jesus is hanging out with the right people, right? Like, a uh, bad company corrupts good character jesus don't you know that what are you doing how dare you let all these people you're you're justifying their sin if you will right you're condoning their bad behavior by letting them hang out with you there's all these arguments that we honestly might have heard today we might have made these arguments about how jesus is interacting with these people and jesus is so connected to this one muttering, this one complaint, this one argument that he goes into three separate parables to combat this thought process. Okay. So, uh, the first, uh, parable. Now uh, the reason I'm telling you this is who you're, who you're talking to, your intended audience matters. Hearing these parables that you may have heard before from the perspective of knowing who he's talking to might change your view of what they're saying. So this first parable you might've heard, it's called the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, And Jesus says, all right, the kingdom of God is like this. You want to complain about who I'm hanging out with? Here's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a a farmer or, or a shepherd who has all of his sheep together and he loses one. He's got 100, but he's lost one. And because he's lost one sheep, he will leave the 99 sheep right where they're at right in their pen, right in the field, wherever they're at, and go find that one sheep. This is what the kingdom of God is like. You want to complain about who I'm hanging out with? Let me tell you about what I'm about and what my purpose is. And then he concludes uh, the, that, the, that the shepherd goes and finds it. and He puts it on his shoulders, and he calls all his friends and celebrates. Like, hey, I had a lost sheep, and I found it. He's excited. He's ecstatic. He's, he is jacked through the roof, excited about him being able to find one sheep. Well, he yeah, had 99. What about the 99? No, no, I had one that was lost and I found it. And here's how he ends that parable in Luke chapter uh, 15, verse 7. It says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 person, righteous persons who do not need to repent. More rejoicing in heaven. The, the kingdom heart, the, the kingdom celebration is to be able to call your people, your crew, your, your friends and say, listen, I, I found one. I found one that was lost. That—that's the heart of the kingdom. That's the heart of what the kingdom of heaven is about. Are these people that you're looking at as Pharisees and judging them and telling, deciding who they are and if they're good enough to hang out in the right crowds or where they should be or shouldn't be? Saying the, the heart of the kingdom is to be celebrating people who are coming back to what God has called them to be and to what God like. Are we on God's team to be the one He can call? Are we the ones that we can celebrate the ones that are lost and are now found? Because he's saying there's a party happening in heaven. And I think this is a little, bit, uh, a little bit tongue-in-cheek when Jesus is saying it. Because the Pharisees would have known the Old Testament Scriptures. And the Old Testament Scriptures tell us that all of our righteousness is but rags to God. So when he says to them, listen, in heaven we're excited about people who turn, turn around and go the right way. We're excited about people who, who were in sin and decide to get out of sin. We're excited about the one person who, who repents over the 99 who don't need to repent. When all of them knew that every single year they had to make sacrifices for their sins. Every single year they had to repent for the things that they were doing wrong. Every single year they would have known that they needed to repent. And so he's saying to them, it's not about where you're at or what you think about yourself. The reality is we all need it. We all need salvation. We all were lost at one point. So you need to acknowledge that what heaven does is celebrates when the lost are found, not when the found seem self-righteous. And so then he goes into another parable, right? If that's not enough, if this story isn't enough for you, it seems like Jesus is extra passionate in this moment because he doesn't do one parable. He doesn't do two. He does three parables. So the second parable uh, is the parable of the lost coin. And in the parable of the lost coin, uh, there's a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one. And these coins would have probably represented like a solid day's wage from a higher skilled worker. So she's, she's lost a good chunk of money and she tears her house apart looking for it. Tears her house apart trying to find this one lost coin. And when she finds it, and when she finds it, she calls her friends to say, hey, I lost something. I want you to celebrate with me. I want you to be excited because I'd lost something and now I'd found it. Do you, you see a pattern here where there is a, a need to call the people that you're supposed to celebrate with because heaven is rejoicing and the people that are on heaven's side are called to rejoice too when something that was lost becomes found. And he ends that parable uh, like this in verse 10 says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. There's a party in heaven. The heavens are rejoicing. There's a celebration when something is lost. There's, uh, both of these people call their friends. Both of these crowds call their friends and he acknowledges that the type of celebration you have that may be in this season when your team wins the game. When your team uh, at college football all of a sudden starts to look like they're getting it together and they're going to be really good this year. And you call and you're like, did you see that touchdown? Did you see that pass? Did you see that onside kick against the team that we don't like, how good they did? Did you see what God did in this team? Did you see what God did in somebody else's life? The type of people that we are called to be are to really be the ones that celebrate when heaven celebrates. To rejoice when heaven rejoices. And it says... That this is the way heaven rejoices. And then the one I want to focus in on a little bit uh, more in depth is the story you've probably heard before. But I want you to hear it from uh, the perspective of who he's telling the story to. Uh, it's the story of the prodigal son. right? The, the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the lost son. And in this parable, um, if you've never heard it before, uh, there's a son who goes to his father. There's two sons, actually. And the younger son goes to his dad and says, Dad, hey, uh, I want my inheritance now. I don't want, I don't want to wait till you die. Uh, I actually want it now so I can go do what I want with it. That's super offensive even in our culture. Like, it's really, I hope, the dad, like, nah, I don't, that's, that's, that's this is my retirement. First off, you do, you, you're lucky if I leave you anything. I'm going to actually spend it all, right? In our culture, very offensive, uh, but in their culture, extra offensive. He's, he's communicating. I just, I actually wish you would die already. Like, just go ahead and get out of my way because I got stuff to do. I've got something that I want to get done. Dad, I wish you were dead. And plus he's the younger son. So it's, uh, it's, it's increasingly offensive because as the younger son, you don't have any rights. You're lucky if you even get an inheritance, you might get in a, a third. You don't get half in their culture. The older son gets the majority. The younger son might get something. So it's ultra offensive that you even assume that you are owed anything, a dime when I die. You're lucky if I give you anything. And yet the younger son has the guts, the the just sheer arrogance to tell his dad, I wish you were dead. Can I get my money? I want to be gone. I want to do what I want to do. And for some reason, we don't really know the reason that the dad lets him do it. Dad's like, all right, fine. If that's what you want to do, go. Go do your thing. And scripture says that that the the younger son, the prodigal son, goes away and he spends his money in wild living. Just lives frivolously, does whatever he wants, lives in sin. And then a famine hits. And he spent all of his money. Now that there's famine in the land, he's broke and he ain't got no job. He he was a rich kid, now he's not. All of a sudden, like, oh, I got to get a job for the first time in my life. Uh, And so the only job he can find in the middle of a famine is uh, with the pigs. He is now going to go work uh, the pigs of the field, and uh, what he realizes in the middle of it is he's he's hungry. He's starving. Now, I don't know. This is speculation. Uh, The prodigal son grew up in a really nice household, and I've seen people that used to be rich, and then they get poor, and uh, rich people that are new poor don't do it real well. You know what I mean? Like, they're struggling. Like, We're talking about Spam. Spam is delicious. That's high. That's high caliber meat. I don't know what you're talking about. When you grew up broke, bologna ain't that bad. But whenever you had to go from steak to bologna, it's different, right? Because I imagine there were probably other, you know, other people working the pigs, and they probably had grown up, and this was kind of normal to them. It wasn't that big a deal. You know, he was the rich that was now poor. He's the new poor that doesn't know how to handle it. Like, I got I to gotta eat bologna? I got to take that red thing off the outside? What am I supposed to do with that? You don't want to eat it. It's not going to turn out good for you. You want to take that thing off the outside of the bologna. Kids, used to in our day. Uh, we had these red rings around the bologna in the package, and we had to take it off before we could even eat the bologna. Uh, anyways, that's a, whole, that's a trip down memory lane. You to get some mustard on there. And so uh, he's new poor, I assume. This isn't in Scripture, right? These are all my interpretations. He's new poor, I assume. He doesn't know how to handle it. I think there's other people there working the pigs, and they're fine. They're used to it. This is what they were raised in. They, this is Maybe their family heritage, and maybe their dad's farm raising the pigs. And this guy doesn't know how to handle it. And then he's hungry. And he realizes he's so hungry, he's not handling a situation at all. He's so hungry that he wishes to eat what the pigs are eating. That's how far he's gone. Like, that's how, how low he's gotten. This is not me. This is not how I was raised. This is not who my dad taught me to be. I, I'm not supposed to be here, you know? Maybe you recognize that with the prodigal son. you felt that before. You're in a place that you're just not supposed to be. This is, not, this is not my home. This is not who I am. This is not how I act. How did I get here? That's what this prodigal son wakes up to. And he realizes, you know what, I... I don't deserve anything. I acted a fool, basically. Not even the, the, the servants in my father's house live like this. Even the servants live better than this. Even the servants in my father's house live better than I'm living in this moment. What if I, I bet I could just go back to my dad and say, look, my bad, let me just be a servant. I don't deserve to be a son, right? His, his mentality's changed from arrogance to humility. He realizes he doesn't deserve it. He realizes he's not worthy to be a son anymore. He realizes he's come to a place where he's hit rock bottom and he's deciding to turn and go back and run to his father. So he comes back home to his father with a speech ready, all right, dad, listen. I know I don't deserve it, but can I get a job, right? That's kind of a speech. I don't, I don't need to be your son. That's not, that's not what I earned. I messed up. But could I at least work in your field? Could I at least be a shepherd for you? Could I at least just have something better than working the pig farm? And as he comes back, um, his father sees him in, his, uh, in a distance and runs, runs to him, so excited, like he's been waiting on him. There's all of these illustrations that probably the dad even running was, um, was shameful, right he he like shamed himself to run towards his son because he was so elated so excited to see his son at a distance maybe waiting just waiting for the day maybe every day he was praying for the moment that his son would return home and so the so the the, the uh dad just throws a party he gets a ring which illustrates that he's he's now his son again like he get, he puts a robe on the son he's like putting him back to full son status in this moment and the son's like i don't deserve any of that if i could just be a worker and he's like no 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 my son was lost, and now he's found. We're going to throw a party. He gets the fatted fatted lamb, the the best of the best meat, right? He went from eating with the pigs. Now he's getting the steak dinner kind of thing. It's like, let's throw a party. And he calls all of his friends, and they celebrate. And they have this massive party, and he's so excited about his son. Well, the older brother, who's been staying and working, has been out in the field. He doesn't know what's going on. He didn't know his brother's back. And so he shows up after his brother's been back for a little while and realizes they're throwing a party. It's like, I've been out in the field. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. And there's a party going on and he doesn't want to go in. He's done. And uh, the dad comes out to talk to him. Like, hey, listen, your son's here. Your brother's here. It's time to come into the party and celebrate that your brother's here. Because right, The other two parables are we call the people who are our friends and they celebrate with us the reality and the connection point of the lost being found. Okay. And so in this moment, uh, he goes and talks to me. He says, dad, I, I don't, I've been here this whole time. You never thrown me a party. Like I've been working for you. I've been doing all this stuff for you. Like I've been serving you and your household this whole time. You never, you never threw me a party. You never, you never f- killed the fattened lamb for me, the fattened calf for me. You never gave me the steak dinner. Well, I've been here being faithful and you've never done any of that for me. And, and the, the, the older brother probably gets a lot of, a lot of flag, but, but, honestly it's kind of relatable. There's been many times where we can look around and we see God do something for other people and we wonder why he doesn't do it for us. There's been many a times that we've started to inch our way towards becoming the older brother. And let's, let me remind you who Jesus is talking to in this moment. Remind you that Jesus is, is talking to the Pharisees, talking to the people who are an illustration of the older brother. And this is the, the dad's response to him after saying, I've been working for you and you haven't done it for me. Luke chapter 15, verse 31 and 32. He said, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. The dad's like, listen, everything I've got yours. The whole thing has always been yours. You've been here the whole time. You could have had it any moment you wanted. All you had to do is ask. I've been here for you the whole time, but now, right now, is about your brother. Right now, this moment is about celebrating what God did in your brother. This is the moment that I'm calling you to tell you that the lost is found, and I'm asking, are you going to celebrate? Will you celebrate the, the the kingdom work when it's not happening to you? Are you on God's side or are you in your own? And what what the older brother missed. And the older brother is missing out on is the perspective of what he's actually working towards. See, he says in Scripture, I've been working for you. I've been serving you. But if you think about what the older brother is doing is there's no inheritance left for anyone else. He's got the whole thing. Every bit of work that the older brother is doing for the household of his father is work that is meant to benefit him and his inheritance. All of this work that he thinks, I've been slaving for you, I've been working for you. He's being obedient to what the father has asked him to do. He's being obedient, but what the father is doing is always trying to connect something better for his son. He's trying to leave something, a better inheritance for his family. The older brother is building the household, and the household is going to be left to the older brother. So the heart of the father, the connection point is that you think you've been doing this for me, and God said, I've been doing it for you. And so often, if we're not careful, we can slowly creep into the older brother syndrome. And there's not really redemption for the older brother. That's how it ends. That's that's how Luke 15 ends. We don't know what happens to the older brother. The older brother are the Pharisees, the ones who like to look down on those who are lost, the ones who like to look down on those who haven't lived right their whole lives, the ones who haven't looked good to everybody else their whole life. That's how it ends. We don't get redemption for the older brother in this story. We don't know how his story ends. He can't celebrate. He's not on God's side. He's been obedient all this time and yet missed what God was wanting for him and being on God's team. He's been faithful to try to be obedient to God and miss something that's really important. So if you're taking notes, my challenge to you today is to, uh, that you don't get so busy trying to obey your father that you miss out on the heart of your father. That you don't get so busy trying to be obedient to who God has called you to be. So uh, so busy trying to figure out all the ways that you're supposed to do everything that you miss out on the heart of what he's doing. Sometimes we get lost in the rules of what God is telling us to do and how he's called us to live. And we miss out on the fact that those rules are there to make you better. This, the, for the For the prodigal son, the older brother of the prodigal son... All that he was doing, all the work that he was doing was adding to his own inheritance. All the times that you you give up things that seem like they'd be fun in the moment, but you know would be sin. All the moments that you give up things that that you want to do that might feel good for a moment, but you know God's called you not to do it. You know you're not supposed to do it, so you resist. God is saying, that's not for me. That's just as much for me as it is for you. I'm trying to bless you. My, my plan for you long-term is for you to have health and happiness and joy and peace and self-control and all of these things. And the things I'm asking you to do are all for your good. And so don't get so busy trying to be obedient to, the, to, to your father, to scripture, to what God has called you to be that you miss out on the heart of what God wants you to have and be and the heart of what God wants for us is to be on his team, is to have his heart. Eventually, the obedience, the the prayer, the worship, the scripture, all of the alone time we spend with God is to get us to the heart of the Father. And what we can see out of all three of those uh, parables, what we can connect to is that out of all three of those parables, the heart of the Father is to be the one that he can call when it's time to celebrate. To be the type of people that are like, when I get the call that somebody who messed up last week, decides to repent and go the right way, am I celebrating or am I a little bit like, ah, I mean, they probably need to get what they deserve though, right? Like, but they're going to get jail time first, right? Like, But wait, 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 Did they, why, why, they didn't get their whole sentence. Why didn't that happen? Like, how come I didn't get uh, blessed like that? When somebody who turns that, to have the, the kingdom heart of, of, of who God has called us to be means to have the kind of heart that we're the ones that celebrate when the lost get found. And, and it really does happen real slow. It happens real slow to become the older brother. It doesn't just, you don't just wake up and you become the older brother. You you slowly start to lose hope on people. You slowly start to lose hope on the ability for God to change somebody. I've seen it happen. You've got a family member that you're probably thinking of right now. You're like, God can't change them. Right? You start to lose hope. And then because you've lost hope for God, changing them, finding them, them, them really repenting and coming back to him. Because you start to lose hope for them, you start to seek justice for them. Because you start to decide their intention and you start to claim that they're evil and you start to believe things about them. Well, like, you don't know my cousin. You don't know what they did. You, you, don't know, you don't know what my family, you don't know what my friend did and how they treated me. You don't know what took place. And the issue is that slowly creeps into becoming the older brother where we start looking for justice rather than grace. We start looking for punishment for those around us and that people get what they deserve. And what we found out earlier in this series is that if they get what they deserve, we got to get what we deserve. And we don't want what we deserve. Because we get grace, and grace is so much better. If they get what they deserve, then all the moments that you've sinned against God, you're going to get a full payment for that. Because if you start to lose hope for them, then eventually you'll start to lose hope for you. So if you're taking notes, if there's no hope for them, then there's no hope for you. If God can't save the most wretched of sinner, then I don't think God can save me. If, if God can't turn, turn the heart of stone and soften it and bring them back around, if God can't change and, and, and celebrate, and we can't celebrate when God changes hearts and they start to take steps towards him, if God can't do that for them, then he can't do it for me. Because this, this, the, the script view we have in Scripture is the view where we recognize we have a, a log in our own eye. We can't see and we can't be judging other people for the sawdust that's caught in their eye. The, the, the view of scripture, the view that Paul is writing is the view about a group of people who say, you know what, of all the sinners, I'm the chief. I'm the worst of the worst because I know the intentions I had and I know the direction I went. So if I start to lose hope, well, God can't do that for them, then eventually you gotta lose hope that what well, God can do for you. It's just a natural track that you're gonna go down. You're going to start to think this is all there is. God can't do any more for me because that's the mindset of the older brother because the older brother at any point, he could have said, hey, dad, let's go, let's go cook the best. I, I like Today I just want to celebrate that I get to be in your house. Let's go. And the dad would be like, bet, let's do it, son. But he missed the heart because he lost hope for his brother, and thus he had lost hope for himself. He didn't ask because he didn't think he could receive. He didn't have the hope that God could do something in his life or that his dad could do cool things for him. He lost hope in the heart of the father. He lost hope in the, for his brother, and then he lost hope for himself because he never asked. He just got so busy doing life, he missed the heart of his father who wanted him to have a more full life, and so for us as a church, my challenge for us is that we start to be people who look for the gold in others, that we start looking for, for the, the moments that people make changes and turn around, and we look for moments to celebrate people when they decide to trust God. Now, the prodigal son story is kind of um, an extreme version, right? Someone hits rock bottom and they realize they go from arrogant to humble. They really just turn their life around. And I love those moments. They're just really rare. More often than not in scripture and in life, people inch their way back. People slowly take one step. It's like a, if you've ever been in the stock market and you followed one stock, you'll notice like even if it's grown, if it's grown for you know, the last 10 years and you watch that stock as it goes up, it's going to take days or months, sometimes a year where it dips. And if you're, only, if you're in the moment, if you got lost in the, in the investment and you're trying to invest in stocks, that day where it dips, you're like, oh, this is terrible. This is the dumbest. I'm the worst. Why did I invest in this stock? And then all of a sudden the next day goes up and you think you're the greatest. And then it keeps doing that. But if you look over the long haul, you can see that it's grown year over year or over a 10-year period. But day-to-day, day sometimes it's questionable. Day-to-day, day sometimes it's frustrating. Day-to-day, so day sometimes you're wondering, is it really is there really value there? Is it really worth it? And that's what I've seen in people's lives following Jesus. There are days where I'm like, ooh. I've seen it in Scripture, right? The, the, Jesus chose 12 disciples. He handpicked his crew. He handpicked the best of the best. And all three years that, he's followed, they're, that they're following Jesus, they're connected to the Son of God, and yet somehow... They keep stumbling. Somehow there's days where Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Get behind me, Satan. Whoa, hey, that's a pretty big dip in the stock market growth of who you're following, right? He, he's not doing so well. And yet, even after Jesus, even after Jesus is gone, gone to heaven, given him the Holy Spirit, Peter still has struggles. He's still not got it perfect. His growth pattern is still this. But you can see over, he's better today than he was yesterday. He's better today than he was two years ago. He's better today than he was before Jesus came into his life. And for us, if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to connect and celebrate the way Jesus Jesus does. We celebrate the golden people. We celebrate progress over perfection. There is no such thing as perfection in the kingdom of God, but there is progress. There are people who can take steps. There are people that can grow just a little bit, inch by inch. The the, the people that we're talking about in these parables, the tax collectors and and the prostitutes, the tax collectors and the sinners, they are clearly not having a life-changing moment even being with Jesus because they're still carrying the title of their sin, They're still seen as tax collectors. It's not a full repentance. It's not a full declaration that they're no longer that. They're still seen as prostitutes. They're still seen as sinners, which to me indicates that maybe they're still wrestling with it. They're still identified by it, which means they're probably still wrestling with their sin. And still Jesus says, I'll take progress. I'll take people who will sit at my feet and try over people who will look self-righteous and not try. I'll take people who will sit at my feet and celebrate when somebody else comes to sit at my feet. I'll take people who are messed up, broken and don't have it all together. But when they see somebody else take a step, they'll celebrate. That's God's team. That's the heart of the father who wants to see people take the steps one baby step at a time, an inch, a crawl, whatever it is. And we will, as a church, celebrate every person that takes that step. I've noticed a pattern. um, in in kind of like pastoral counseling first few weeks when I'm talking to somebody processing stuff it's usually uh like is that a good idea <laughs> Do you think you should be doing that are those people you should be hanging out with and usually through conversations questions like no probably not they start making progress they realize I don't want to go this way I'm going to go a different direction and then after a few weeks uh, of meeting up semi-consistently I start to have conversations where I'm noticing it's the same conversation not in a bad way. It's just the same conversation. Like, I'm not, I'm really struggling. I, really, I messed up. I'm addicted. And I got back into my addiction. And I start to notice that what I'm doing in those moments is, is reminding them how far they've come. What I'm doing in the moments is reminding them that they're better than they were. Like, no, no, no. Yeah, you, you, I, I'm not excited that you slipped up in your addiction. But this time it took you a month. It used to be an hour. You used to couldn't go an hour without that drug. And this time it took you a month to slip up. That's better than you were. Let's celebrate progress before we start getting too hard on ourselves. Sometimes it's just a celebration of like, whoa, whoa, your struggle, your emotional stuff that you were going through that sends you into a spiral that you couldn't come out of used to take you a week to survive. Now it's only a day. It's just a pointing out and celebrating the moments where look at you are better and you are better today than you were yesterday. Just celebrate and you notice there's these patterns where I'm here to just remind and celebrate where you've come from and what God has already done and to remind you that you can go further. No, no, you can keep going. I remember on the flip side of that, what that kind of encouragement, just to just to be the type of people to receive on the flip side of that the type of encouragement. About four years ago, twenty eighteen, I decided I want to do a triathlon. Terrible decision. Um, I was like I need something to push me physically I wanted something that was inspiring so I was like triathlon I'm going to do an ironman saw the distance I saw actually I saw Sean Aston on TV doing it and I was like if Rudy can do it I can do it and then I looked at the distance and I was like I cannot I will not I will die so then I then there's a, there's called a half marathon which is still like 13 miles, 52 miles on the bike, and like a two mile swim. And I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna gonna do a two mile swim, 50 mile bike, and like a 13 mile run. I can do that. I can do that. I started training, realizing I'm gonna die. Like, I'm literally gonna die. Like, not, I don't even, the reason I thought I was gonna die is because I I finished a training one day and I'm like, I felt great, and then I thought I was gonna die. I was like, My body didn't tell me to stop. I'm gonna die. I'm just gonna drop dead and not even know it was coming. So then I I narrowed it down to the Olympic distance. I'm like, I got this. I'm gonna do this. I'm not gonna die, but I am gonna finish. Listen, I didn't get place let's just let's be clear about this but so I'm doing the, the training and whatever. And, and one of the things that really got me is I looked at the altitude and the place I was doing it in Barnsdall, Oklahoma. I looked at the altitude and it looked flat. Told me it was flat. I was like, cool. That's how I'm going to train for my bike is on flat ground. I get there and it's nothing but hills just up and down. I'm like, oh, I can't. No, <laughs> my thighs were gone, just spent. And then you got to finish with the run. So I'm like doing like full, you know, like grandpa run where you're just like, I, I'm pretty much walking, but it looks like a jog. So I'm not trying to embarrass myself. And so I didn't get last. Let's just be clear but I'm running right I'm going like all I got and I just like just make it you know and uh there's this dude passes me and there's a number on the back of their their leg and uh that that number is their age they put age I don't know they did it just for me I think but they put they put the age and my leg had it too right age age I'm running I see this dude pass me around I'm like good job for you good job until I look down and he's 72 there's a 72 on that man's calf I, got past, I didn't get last place, but I did get passed by a 72-year-old man, and I was like, I ain't gonna let this happen. No, I got nothing left in me. I am just, good job. Go man, I'm gonna be you when I'm older, right? I'm just, that's all I got, and in that moment, and in those moments where I'm like, I'm dying. I'm going to die, but I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna, this is my last moment on earth. I'm gonna get this six miles in, and then I'm gonna die. Uh, there are people along the way that some of them have finished the race. Some of them aren't running the race at all, but they are just there to celebrate and just to cheer. And I've got mile one that I don't think will make it because I just did a 26-mile bike up and down hills that I thought were going to be flat. And I don't think I'm gonna make it. And they're like, you can do it. You only got five miles left. Only five miles. I'm sorry. I got five full miles left, first off. And there's there's people there just encouraging, spurring me on, and there's people there handing out pickle juice because I'm starting to cramp. Like, give me the pickle juice. I don't need water, I'm gonna die. I'm drinking everything that I got, and every mile that gets harder, the encouragement gets more and more. Every mile that gets more and more difficult, the encouragement gets bigger and bigger. And before you know it, I feel like I can do it. I'm gonna make this like I only got a mile left, I can survive it. And there are people just around the corner. All you can do is make it around this corner. Just go a little bit further. And the encouragement kept me going when I didn't think I could survive it. When I overestimated what I could do and how well I could do it, the encouragement of the people around me celebrating what I could do was exactly what I needed. And I think there's a church full of people who need to be surrounded by a group of people who are just there to say, you can do it just another mile. No, no, I know you might be cramping. I know you might have stumbled. I know you might have busted your knee up a little bit. But there's a, there's a group of people who needs a church that can just find the golden people to see the best and to celebrate the little bits that God is doing in their life so that they can be encouraged to finish the race that was set before them. And my challenge is, is that you would be that church. So if you take my challenge, would you raise your hand? Yeah. Come on. All over this place. So if you find yourself... Being, being one of the lost. You find yourself in a place that's not home. You find yourself in a position that you didn't ever think you'd find yourself in. You just saw hands all over here where there was a church of people that said, we want to celebrate you. We want to celebrate every inch that you make. We, we, we want to encourage that you are better today than you were yesterday. We want to encourage that even if you find yourself in the middle of the pig pen, that just turning your mindset around and going the right direction is enough for us to cheer like crazy. That's why every single week, Every single week, you'll see someone, someone will raise their hand and say, I want to follow Jesus. And you hear a church clapping and cheering. Listen, y'all can get even more excited if you want to when that happens. I don't care. I don't care if you lose your mind like it was your brother or your sister or your mom or your kid that was repenting and coming back. And you had to run the building because you were so excited because God changed someone's life. I'm here for that. Because we want to celebrate every inch that people take. Every moment that they say, all right, God, I'm going to try. Every moment they say, just a little bit further. And next week, or two weeks from now, on October 2nd, when there are people in the pool, I don't know what they're going to live like next week. I don't know how well they're going to crush it. They may be in the pool on Sunday and sending on Monday. But what I do know is that it took a ton of courage to get in front of everybody and say, you know, I'm going to try to follow Jesus. I'm new now. I've been made new. I'm going under that water. I'm going to, be, I'm going to represent death to my old self. And I'm going to come out of that water representing brand new life. And we cheer like crazy because we cheer for the steps, not for the perfection. We cheer for the moment where you're taking just a little step. And the hardest part, the hardest part for all of us is admitting we're lost. It's to just get to the place where we admit that we're lost. Like, no, I, I need somebody to find me. I can't make it. And for the prodigal son, uh, I think we could fall into a similar category where I bet he looked around and there were other pig farmers that grew up that way. And, and, and scripture's not an indictment on, on those other pig farmers, because maybe they were called right where they were called to be. But what the prodigal son knew is that by his raising, by old Testament scriptures, he's not even supposed to be around pigs. He's not supposed to touch them. They're against his religious upbringing to touch the pigs. This is an offensive story and everyone listening to it knows how far the prodigal son has fallen because he's around pigs and even desiring to eat what they eat. You can't even be around pigs, much less eat what they're eating. He found himself lost. There may have been a thousand other people that they were right in the spot they needed to be where God would call them to be to be faithful to take their next steps while they're being pig farmers. And sometimes we can look around and we go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm okay because other people are here too. I'm okay doing this lifestyle living like this because other people are here. But deep down, if you're honest with yourself, you know, this ain't me. Like, like it it may not be sin. You may, you may find yourself in a place that doesn't seem like sin to anything else in the world, but you know, this is not how I was raised. This is not who God has called me to be. It can be something that's even good things. You might have found yourself lost in the rat race of the American dream, trying to figure it all out that you think more stuff, more things are going to make you happy. You can find yourself in the middle of the pig pen looking like you're crushing it. And you, all you have to do is go, wait, this isn't me. This is not who I am. No, that's fine. I don't need to judge anybody else in the pig pen. I don't need to judge everybody else in the rat race. I don't need to judge everybody else and where they're at. I just know how I was raised with my father's house. I can do better than this. I am better than this. God has called me more than than just this. There is a gut feeling that I'm lost. And the the way you get found is just a turn. Like the father's looking. He's going out looking for the lost sheep, for the lost coin. All the lost sheep needs to do is bleat for just one moment. So he knows where you're at. All you have to do in scripture is to cry out to him and say, I'm lost. I need your help. And he's there and he's faithful to help you take the next step that you're called to take. And the challenge as we're here today is for us, all of us, at some point, whether it feels like rock bottom or not, to admit that we're lost. To admit that maybe, maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to. And maybe it's time to come home. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the second time or the hundredth time, it's time to come home. It's time to stop living the way you're living and turn towards God and trust Him with your life. Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to The Brick Church through giving, You can do that by texting the word BRIC to 45888. That's the word BRIC to 45888. The first time you do that, it's going to send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.